Hey everyone, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wild, entertainment reporter by day, sweat pay connoisseur by night. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy, and healthy is hot. Join us as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep in how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, they don't hold back. There might be swearing. There's definitely going to be some laughing. And hopefully, you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life. To live your healthiest hot life. What's going on, everybody? We are welcoming Riley Grant to the podcast. This is someone who's been a very longtime friend, long before she was an osteopath, long before I was a TV host. But here we are, and our worlds are circling together once again. So rad. She specializes in women's health and newborns. She actually conducted her thesis on endometriosis and has a special interest in raising awareness about the effectiveness, well, can't speak, of the manual therapy in treating endometriosis-associated pelvic pain and infertility. And what I was really curious about was what got her interested in becoming an osteopath, how osteopaths fit into the greater picture of medical care, and also how she ended up so passionate and becoming an expert in a female-focused space. Not to mention she crushes it on social media and gives some really great advice to other entrepreneurs out there wanting to take a chance on themselves. All right, let's dive in. Healthy is hot community. Get ready, get excited. I am so excited to welcome like a dear friend of mine, someone who like way back playback I have known for many, many, many moons, <laughs> way before she was killing it in the health industry, way before I was in TV. Riley, welcome to the pod. Thank you. When you when you first started Healthy is Hot, I started writing little blog posts and look at you now. Oh my gosh, that was a very long time ago. Life was very yeah. different like over a decade ago. I was I was not necessarily going to follow in your footsteps, but I was knee deep in like the science world at McGill. Thought I was going to go to med school, thought I was going to make all kinds of impact in yeah. the world and help people. Life took a little yeah. bit of a turn, but I'm really glad you stuck to it and you're making it. <laughs> Back then, when I first started writing for the blog, I was a CrossFit instructor and I was kind of a health junkie, I guess you could say, like gym junkie, I'll say. Uh, so that was kind of my domain back then. And that was like just when I had started osteo school. And I remember I went to an info session and it was just like my brain lit on fire because I was like, this is everything that I've always believed in health, just in words. So it's, it's funny to think back to then, like I thought I knew everything about health and fitness. And then I started really learning all like the science and just viewing the body in a very different lens than traditional medicine, I guess. And, uh, and yeah, just you remember, learned a lot since then. Do you remember what it was from that info session that lit your brain on fire? I think it was the four tenants of osteo. Uh, they were, the body has the capacity to auto-regulate. So we have the ability to heal ourselves. Like, and we know this and conventional medicine knows this too. You cut yourself and your blood has factors in it that comes and you help 
starts to clot. And so just applying that to everything else. And I think that the wellness world kind of brings that into, you know, the power of the mind, biology is belief. And then the osteo perspective of that was adding a manual therapy catalyst to help your body auto-regulate. Um, so that's one of them. The other one is that the body is a functional unit. So in conventional medicine, we really tend to look at the body in individual systems. I think it's 11 systems. It's like the digestive system, the cardiac. And so we tend to view it very separate and we forget how interrelated the whole body is. And osteo, like our, our real skill is knowing how everything is interrelated. I remember I had to do a project once on the literal frontal bone and we were making connections from the frontal bone all the way down to the toes. So it was really interesting. And friends, um, when she's saying frontal bone, she's like pointing to her forehead, like the, the, yes. the bone in your forehead. And you had to find how it was connected all the way down to your toes. Like truly everything is. Connected. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, exactly. So I always use that example because my friend and I were so excited to about this project. And then we got the frontal bone and we're like, how are we going to do this? And then once we started, I'm like, it's so easy. We all start as like cells that just start dividing. So it's impossible to think that we're all separate. It's really, we come from this tiny little cell that just keeps dividing from the same different matter. So, um, and then the other two things are the role of the artery is absolute. So I saw you interviewed a chiropractor also. So they really believe that when the spine is clear, that's when the nervous system can function optimally. And that's really like for them, the top way to achieve health. Whereas in osteo, we really believe in the power of the blood. So getting everything mobile so the blood perfuses and helps heal certain areas. And then the other one, which is my favorite, is structure governs function, which I think is huge for the women's health world too. Um, which basically means that like our structure, skeleton, the MSK system, muscles, bones, that will dictate how everything on the inside is working also. So a super simple example that I like to give is I had one patient who fell asleep on a plane all weird. And then she had this pain kind of just beneath her shoulder blades around the level of T6. So that's a thoracic vertebra like uh, in the rib cage, in the, in the back of the rib cage. And then shortly later, she started developing heartburn. So we also we know that T6 is involved in the sphincters of the stomach. And so once we worked on mobilizing her diaphragm, getting that vertebra moving, suddenly her stomach started working better. And she didn't have that heartburn anymore. So it's just a way to show that our physical kind of body can help, can have an effect on the internal physiology. So these are the things that kind of made my brain explode when I first went to that info session. You know, I feel like my brain is exploding listening to those four tenets <laughs> of like what it means to be an osteo. And what's interesting is like hearing you talk about them. I think like twice you mentioned, well, conventional medicine thinks this or conventional medicine believes that. Mm -hmm. So is osteo something that is aside conventional medicine? Like, cause I'm so curious of the, the language that you're using. Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. And part of the reason actually why I created my podcast was to bridge those two worlds better because I'm surrounded by doctors. I'm on a trip right now that my boyfriend's a doctor, his dad's here, he's a doctor. Three of my best friends are doctors. Like I have the most respect for conventional medicine. Um, and more what I meant by that is just how they focus on the body. So they really study disease and illness. Like we'll always talk about like, we need them. Like there is like, absolutely 
hundred percent. I believe that we need them more than anything for emergency medicine to rule out the big stuff. Yeah. And then alternative, I don't know if I just want to label it all as alternative, but just the alternative world, we try to look at a different, from a different perspective. And how I see it is that we study health. We study what it is to be healthy. We don't study necessarily disease. So that's kind of how, how I view them. And, and then, like I was explaining, we really look at everything in a functional, universal, holistic way, how everything is connected. Whereas a cardiac surgeon doesn't have the luxury to know how like the big toe is like somebody's coming in with a heart attack. You want it, your surgeon to know exactly where every single nerve, artery, vessel, like they, they need to know this anatomy through and through better than anything else. So that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, I think there's a time and place for both. But I think it's nice that we're living in a time where, and again, I don't know if I'm using the right word by using alternative medicines, because like, that makes it seem a little bit woo woo because but it's like based in science and so much research. Mm -hmm. But it's nice that there are alternatives to conventional medicine, like osteo. What are some of the other like disciplines that might fall under a similar umbrella that are Mm -hmm. still very much rooted in scientific research, but are, are maybe considered a side of conventional medicine? So I was actually just re- uh, rereading my research project before this podcast and in medical literature, published articles, they refer to anything in in that world as CAM. So complementary, complementary and alternative medicine, which I like, I like that. Um, so they usually will call it CAM. So that's anything from acupuncture, chiropractic, physiotherapy, um, like meditation, yoga, instructors, like any sort of coach. It's a really big umbrella, but those would be the main ones that I would say massage. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's so much There's Reiki, there's energy work. Like I can, we could go do a long list. (laughs) My big, my big takeaway from like asking that question is that if there is something going on with you, or you are curious about learning more about your body, like there are so many different avenues you can explore with different uh, professionals. Obviously, if you're having a medical emergency, please go to the doctor. But I think it's so wonderful to be living in a time where like you can lean on all these different modalities to get to know your body better, to maybe get Mm -hmm. to a more optimal quality of life if you're someone who's suffering and struggling. But I definitely... I'm a little bit biased in that I love practitioners that look at health in a holistic way and look at health mm-hmm. and humans as a like a multifunctioning system, you know, where everything is yes. related and dependent on one another. And like, we are not one thing, we are many things. And I believe that is the case with health as well. Absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. This is why I gravitated to this world. Um, and I also really do believe that a lot of doctors do think that and they view it that way also, but they don't have the luxury of time. Whereas in the alternative world, we really do. We get to sit down with our patients, clients for, you know, minimum an hour in the first visit. So we get to go deep. We get to talk about everything. Whereas in medicine, they have to be very quick, like rule out the red flags and then they have to get to the next person because that's the status of our medical system right now, there's a huge drain on it. So this is why I feel like alternative care is so important is because once those red flags have been cleared, you want to be able to fall back on someone and to have someone hear you out and take your whole health history into consideration. And that's great. Once those red flags have been 
eliminated or yeah, dealt with. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you definitely light up when you talk about what it is that you do. I mean, how much do you <laughs> enjoy that initial kind of conversation with people, like getting to know them as the person that they're walking into the room as, and like getting to the crux of what brought them there? Mm-hmm. Well, it's really especially exciting for me whenever it's anything women's health, um, pelvic pain, pain, any sort of pelvic pain or dysfunction or any, you know, gynecological diagnosis that someone's had that's chronic or even, you know, during pregnancy, it's, you know, you're constantly told that things are, are normal or they're common and don't worry about it. And yes, you don't have a pathological disease that is life-threatening, but you're still living with debilitating pain that can have a major effect on your quality of life. So like, when I get to talk to people and you hear this, the stories constantly, you know, like the, I think a lot of people will coin it medical gaslighting where it's just, you're just told there's nothing wrong. There's nothing there. The pain's in your head. And anyone ever tells you the pain is your, in your head. Like I give you permission to, that is not an okay statement to say, even the best pain doctors out there know that pain is never in somebody's head. It's, it's just not people feel pain in such a drastic way. If somebody ever says that, it really just means that they haven't studied pain enough. It's so complex. Um, but I get really excited because they start telling me their, their story and it's the first time that it comes out. And that's really the first step, I believe, in healing. It's the first time that somebody hears your whole story um, and you just feel that relief with them. And then I get a lot of joy because I'm like, I know I'm going to help this person. Like, I know I'm going to help this person once we get their pelvis moving a little bit once. And that's like, that's huge. When you have pain, it, there's a positive correlation with mood depletion, quality of life, so many different things. So yes, I get a lot of joy in my work. You could have kind of focused on any kind of modality, but you chose women's health. Um, so much so that you wrote your thesis on endometriosis like, where does that passion come from? And why did you decide to focus on this as your, I don't know if specialty is the right word, but like, I don't know, your area of expertise. Yeah. I just think it comes with the territory. I don't know one single woman in my personal community that doesn't have a story where they were told like, oh, don't worry, your pretty little head. It's nothing. Don't worry. That's normal. You know, even with pregnancy, women are just told, don't worry about it. Just you're going to have back pain. That's part of it for nine months. It's like, really? For nine months, this person is expected to be in pain and we're not going to talk about any other solutions. And I think as we started to learn about a lot of the female pathology, it just seemed like a lot of the medical interventions were so far behind, like endometriosis specifically. It's like the, the option that gives you the most pain relief is a hysterectomy and it's like that is that's like how is that that just sounds archaic when you say it like there's something wrong there um but yeah I really think it came down to resonating with I remember at the time I was reading a book it was called women's health women's wisdom and it was at kind of at the same time as uh I was taking my women's health courses and yeah I just felt like this is I thought I was going to end up working with athletes because I was obsessed with CrossFit. And then I was like, these are, this is the, like, these are people that need the most help and no, not enough people are doing it. Not enough people are talking about it. 
everything in our pelvis is still taboo to talk about. It's so much better now, even in the last five years, I find um, people know what pelvic floor therapy is now, whereas I feel like even five years ago, I didn't see it as much, but yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up there. Man, I could have so seen you like focusing on working with athletes because like you're such a badass <laughs> athlete as well. But it's kind of awesome that this is the space that you're working in because as someone who struggled with period pain for so long, like it fucking sucks when people tell you like, just suck it up or like whatever. I'm sure it's not that bad. Or, you know, like they just look at you with such confusion and it, I get it. You don't understand. It's not your, you know, you're not experiencing what I'm experiencing, but like for mm-hmm. many, many years up until recently, the conversation has changed so much. There was like so much shame and stigma around, you know, experiencing Mm -hmm. period pain and vocalizing it or asking for time off work or whatever it may be. So I think it's, I think it's really awesome that you're out there, like helping people who are struggling and especially people who maybe have been like gaslit many, many times before, which is really, really powerful that we like hold space for those conversations and yes to normalizing conversations about women's pelvic floor. Like, can I just talk about how quirky you are on social media for a second? (laughs) You're slightly outrageous in the best way possible. Like you make uh, dilators look really fun you dress up and dance to Taylor Swift while talking about washing your bum. If you get a lot of UTIs and you're missing having sex, <laughs> like you have really made this space really silly and fun, but still educational. Like, uh, was that all oh, your intention? Is that just like the inner kid in you being like, I'm going to come and play, but I'm going to educate you at the same time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just felt like it should be like a fun place to talk about like I feel like when we would get together as girlfriends you know we'd be having wine and we could all laugh about it and I love one of those quotes that Brittany Brown said that it was like laughter is the thing that washes away shame or something and I just felt like that always resonated with me and I was like I want that just for us to laugh about it and know that we all have these common issues that we never speak about and I think it's just a really good way to try to, and I just, I started following people too in the pelvic health world who made it light and funny and got a lot of inspiration from them. And um, I really, I I like TikTok, not going to lie. And so I just try to create things that I think would be funny to watch. And educational though, like, let's not forget, like, yeah, you're entertaining, but like, you're definitely like also sending a message. And a lot of our community members that listen to this podcast are either like have a nine to five and a side hustle or their side hustle has now become their main hustle in the health and wellness space. Like what advice do you have for female entrepreneurs out there who are really passionate about what they do, but want to expand their brand to a platform like TikTok to not only share their voice, but share their expertise in a way that is relatable Mm -hmm. and exciting. When I first started my own clinic from home, I was really nervous that I was going to lose that influx of clients. So I got it in my head. I'm like, I need a coach. Like I need somebody that's going to hold me accountable. That's going to help me with consistency. Um, so I hired this girl, her name on Instagram is the Chevy method. Her name's Chevy. And we created like a, a monthly calendar. And that was just my first, we did that for three months. And then I was able, I kind of got the confidence and tools that I needed and just the schedule that I knew I need to stick to. And then I had a routine set. So I, it was really like I had 
two hours on Mondays where I'd batch film and then release. And then certain things that I learned from her were having content pillars. So different subjects um, throughout the week that were relevant to my target audience and then engaging with people. Um, it's really nerve wracking because you just have this constant negative talk in your head, even just about posting. Like I'm sure people are like, find a lot of the things that I do very cringy and I get a lot of mean comments at times, which I find hilarious, but also coming back to what you were saying about kind of going out on your own and taking that risk and getting into it is, is just, it's, you just need to know that it's all in your own head. All of that negative self-talk is, it's just important to speak to somebody objectively about it. Cause sometimes you can see this person's, this friend or whoever it is that you're confiding with, you can see their potential so clearly. And it's just, you know, the fear of failure, the self doubt. And once I started doing it and I got great feedback, it was just very clear to me. And it's kind of like, why didn't I do this sooner? And so I think just whenever I have friends or family who are wanting to pursue something, I just feel like, do it. Like if I can do it, anyone can. And it doesn't, I don't know. I just really think you have more to offer than you think. And like, as long as you're consistent and fun and authentic, I don't see how you can fail. Yeah. I think that's such good tips, like blocking out time to shoot because shooting daily can feel very overwhelming and daunting, especially yes. you know, I recognize everyone has full lives already, but if you can block out a yeah. little bit of time once a week, once every two weeks, if that's all your capacity, work ahead with a content calendar. That way you hold yourself accountable. And I think the content pillars is great. Would you mind sharing what like, some of those were for you just to give us some ideas for Of course. Yeah. So at the time there was uh, women's health. So that was kind of like just broad spectrum, you know, period pain, fiber, like anything you can think of that affects the gynecological area. Then there is perinatal. So anything, pregnancy, fertility, postpartum, and then pediatrics. So those were, that was the main clientele I really wanted to attract and work with. So uh, those are my, I, I remember there being a fourth. Oh, at the time I had a general osteo one. Oh, it was kind of like get to know me slash general osteopathy tips. Oh, yeah. the goal. I love that you threw that in there. The goal was to attract those types of clients, which now are the types of clients you work with. Was exactly. it successful? Like, were you able to see a return on investment of your time and your creativity through utilizing a platform like TikTok? It a hundred percent. I, prior to starting, it was actually the pandemic, which was kind of a blessing in disguise. I finally had time to work on my project and I was so deep into it that I felt so passionate just that this is what I wanted to do and my clientele working at the clinic at the time was much more MSK focused it was lots of you know I have a sore shoulder I have a sore back and I'd say like 50 50 male female um, so I don't know I just felt I didn't I still really liked my career but I knew that I wanted you know, at least 80% of my clientele to be babies, uh, women's health, and uh, uh, everything perinatal. So once I started posting, it was my clientele changed, like wow. it seemed overnight. Yeah. And I, I finally had the time and 
during the pandemic, there was nothing really else to do. So I went back onto social media because I had deleted it for so long. And I'm like, I'm going to use this to raise awareness about everything that we can do because now I've seen the actual scientific literature that I'd never thought existed that shows how much of an effect that we can have. So I started very small and then eventually I got that idea into my head where I wanted to have my own clinic. And then that's when I started with Chevy. And I actually forgot to mention a really good resource that she offers is her, uh, it's called a real roundup. So she sends you trending audios weekly and it's like 10 bucks a month. And I find that super helpful because I don't have time to be scrolling a lot during the week, finding new trends. So that was the one thing that I, that really helps me too on social media. Just wanted to add that in. I am so excited for you and like everything you've done. I know your clinic opened like just over a year ago and it's, it's so inspiring. Mm -hmm. Like hearing you say this story because like you found what you were passionate about. You worked in a more traditional work environment, not that you didn't enjoy it, but you recognized that you were craving something slightly different. And then you took a chance on yourself and put yourself out into, you know, the internet, which is a daunting place, but it can be a really beautiful place to connect with people. Um, And for you, it kind of was perfect because it led you to kind of really hone your expertise and bring in clients. Like it's such a beautiful full circle moment. And if you can do it, then friends at home, like you can do it too for your business or your passion. And I think putting yourself out there is the first step. But like you said, that mind chatter can sometimes be really negative and really bring you down and sometimes stop us from putting ourselves out there. Like, how did you work through some of those Mm -hmm. more challenging days where maybe you did get a mean comment or your own inner critics were kind of shouting very loudly saying like, what do you, who do you think you are posting all this stuff on TikTok? I remember I had one of my first ever videos that went viral. Like I had, it was trending towards getting a million views, but it seemed like the algorithm was picking up literal like women haters, like people who didn't like women. Like I remember getting comments like, um, all you women with your anxiety, you just make up illnesses and you cause them yourself just go exercise and eat better and take care of yourself for once like it was just things that were illogical and I just remember saying anyway I was fuming but it was crazy because then it was it was just picking up more and more people who had shared dislike for anything feminist I guess you could say and uh, that was like the first time where I realized that the internet is a scary place And I felt really like just defeated and angry. And then I took some time off and then I came back and it's just, it just fuels of your fire more being like, how how do people still think like this? And you need to just keep, keep going. Um, My colleagues at Vitality, which was the clinic that I first started at, were so supportive and um, they were, they're the first to, to call you out on anytime you're talking to yourself in a negative way. And just really, yeah, when people in your own field, like your bosses, people you look up to are like, you can easily do this. Like it's in your head. For those people to have said that to me really felt like the reason I, I, whenever I had doubt, like talking to them was really helpful. Yeah. Surround yourself with people that see you like fully, 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 fully. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Let's say I'm like, 
Riley, I'm coming to you. I've got a really sore lower back, but I've never been to an osteopath. I'm actually not really sure what's going to go down. Like, what would that look like? Like, what actually goes down in a session? So the first session that you would come in, we'd go over your entire health history questionnaire. Because as mentioned before, we really see osteo as a functional unit. So while you're talking about back pain, maybe two years ago, you were in some sort of car accident where you had a major whiplash and it was actually age and C-spine that was stuck and causing all of your low back to compensate. So just one example. So that's why we go into detail about all the different um, health history items. And then we just basically start an evaluation. So we look at the global posture, we see how the pelvis is moving, we look at the spine, trying to find any vertebrae that may be kind of out of whack. And then um, lie down on the table, then we do kind of a lying down assessment. If we have anything that we're worried about, we'll do orthopedic tests, neurological tests. And then we do the treatment. The treatment, I would say, is a little bit more gentle than, let's say, physiotherapy or chiro. As we all know, chiro involves a lot of cracking. Osteo, I'd say, is a little bit less. Um, and we also believe about believe putting anatomical parts into their ease. So there's always this, you know, something sore, stretch and poke it and put a ball on it. But sometimes that can just lead to more inflammation. So we really believe in putting something into its ease where the nervous system can actually relax. And then you can bring the part back to where it's supposed to be. Because when you get a strain or a whiplash, now your nervous system is telling your body like, oh, this is my norm now. So we want to like cut off that communication, telling the brain that this is normal. This is a normal position. And then we can eventually stretch it and get it back to its old baseline. So sometimes into the ease, some people say it feels like nothing, but we're like, there's a, there's a plan. Uh, for a lot of my women's health, endometriosis cases, fertility cases, we'll be kind of really mobilizing the viscera, like the actual fascia that holds the uterus into place, bladder, um, osteos in Canada don't have any right to do internal manipulations. The only people who have reserved rights for that are doctors and pelvic floor physios. So we don't do any internal, but we do a lot of visceral manipulation, which physios don't do. So it's funny. I always say you really should see an osteo and a physio if ever you're dealing with anything chronic in your pelvis um and then yeah usually we just follow up see how everything's doing and then we'll retest the things we started at the beginning to make sure that we had an effect and is having an effect a common occurrence when people show up and yes. it feels like air quotes nothing yes I think I work a little bit, there's always a spectrum. I work a little bit more on like the physio side where you definitely, <laughs> when you come to see me, like I'm going to push on things that hurt, um, but it'll always be a good hurt. I'll never go past anyone's limits, of course. Um, but I know a lot of osteos who work like in the ease and it's like, they're like magician wizards, but everybody has their own, own uh, way of working. But yes, you definitely do. And I, I've seen some, osteos and supervisors that I've had do some really incredible things to me look like at the time when I was a student, like they're not doing anything. And then the person has no pain in 30 minutes. So wow, it's pretty cool. 
Wow. So if someone's listening to this and they have discomfort, like what are some discomforts or pains that would lead them to deciding to maybe go see an osteo versus a Cairo or a physio? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So definitely if you've done Cairo and physio, I, and you know, you have, let's say in, you haven't gotten the results that you were hoping for and you feel like manual therapy is not for you. I would definitely recommend trying osteo just because we do have a drastically different approach I would say like I was talking about how we'll work into the ease and we just have a different way of looking at the body in 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 general um now I'm forgetting what the actual question was no like like I guess like what are the things that bring people in to see an osteo and I know that's anything yeah. So anything like if you have a discomfort or a pain that doesn't require you to go to the emergency yes. room and osteo is a potential resource for you to feel. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I'd say like the most common things we'll see is anything MS musculoskeletal. So sore shoulder, sore, sh- sore back, sore neck. Um, we deal a lot with headaches. I do a lot of jaw pain, jaw and pelvic floor, very connected. Um, like we'll do inter- techniques to help people really loosen up their jaw um, we also do craniosacral work which is really cool if you've never heard about it research it um, but essentially we'll work on the entire nervous system from the top of the head all the way down to the sacrum we know how those are interrelated for somebody who's dealing with insomnia post-traumatic stress like anything that really affects the nervous system itself and then a lot of common things like heartburn and digestion, bloating, um, period cramps, uh, problems with fertility, issues with like painful defecation, like anything that you can think of, there is a manual therapy approach to help you with that. Yo, you just blew my mind. Like... (laughs) blew my mind. Um, I, I feel like we could have a 10 parter conversation and go into like each of those one in one. But my last question for you, because you are literally on holiday right now and you're taking time to chat with us, which is so <laughs> awesome. When if you could like look into a crystal ball and look a couple years ahead, like what are your hopes for women's health, especially when it comes to you know pelvic floor, fertility, endo? Like, what's your hope there? My hope is that we will be talking about it a lot more, a lot more openly. The more we do that, the less we're going to see uh, people saying that everything is normal and common, not to worry. And, you know, I think that the more we communicate about that, the better things we'll get, uh, the more funding we will get. My passion is really endometriosis and the manual therapy effects for that and this has already started but I would love to see this in different aspects of women's health also is they have multidisciplinary clinics set up there's one girl I can't remember if it's Christine or I think it's Catherine Allaire she started one in BC and it's she's a gynecologist who set up this clinic and it's not only her so she'll be doing small procedures like with laparoscopic but then there's also psychology support manual therapy so that's physiotherapy osteo um acupuncture so having this whole team to support women which by the way in Canada it's like 20 million women who can be affected by endometriosis or something like that the last time that I checked and 
Yeah. And then just the more we talk about it, the more awareness that is raised about it, we will have more funding. I think the last time I checked, it was 7 million of public funding that went into endometriosis, whereas, which is also a horrible disease and I'm glad that they get funding, but diabetes, which is another chronic illness received 150 million. So, you know, it's similar. Exactly. A Mm. lot of room to grow. I really hopes and wishes. I am so grateful for your time. Friends, if you're in the Montreal area, you can check out Riley in person. If not, definitely check out all her socials with the links down below. Um, Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you. It was really an honor to be on the podcast. Thank you. Well, 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 who else is feeling fired up and inspired after that chat? Yeah, same here. I can't believe I'm saying this, but just like that, Another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast in the books. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild. And look, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a cute little comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. We'll see you next week. Brought to you by Clarence.